Well, we are, uh, actually, if you believe it or not, we're going to be finishing up uh, our James series today as we've been talking about this, this movement, this forward in faith. What does it look like to have a mature faith? What does it look like to, uh, to have the kind of faith that God is calling us to have? What, what does this look like in my life and your life? And we've, over the last six weeks, talked about, uh, <coughs> excuse me, talked about a lot of different characteristics of a mature faith. Right, in week one, we talked about having a faith that perseveres. Right? James 1 talks about, my brothers and sisters, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Right? We can only have joy in the midst of trials when we seek God, when we know that the goal is God. We can persevere when we know that the goal is God. We moved on to week number two and talked about obedience. Faith obeys. Right? Don't just be a listener of the word. Do it. Right? If you're going to listen to it and not do it, it's like you're looking at yourself in a mirror and then immediately forgetting what you look like, James says. Faith obeys. Number th- week three, we talked about faith loves. talked about the widows and the orphans and, and the, the, just the love that God is calling us to. Right? Week four, we talked about a faith that acts, a faith that does things, a faith that is, that is not just uh, a head knowledge thing, but is a faith that is so... So, so much a part of who we are that it can't not be action, right? We live our lives out of our faith. Faith acts. Week five talks about faith speaks. The way that we use our words and the way that we speak to one another, the way that we, the way that we even just even self-talk sometimes is we need to be honoring God with the way that we speak. And last week we talked about a faith that submits, a faith that submits to the, our desires to God, our, our hearts to God, our relationships to God, our temptations to God. And then we're going to pick up this week. And, and I know it seems like we've got uh, a long way to go still till the end of the book of James. But, but James at the end here just kind of goes on a streak. He just kind of, he's all over the place it seems like, right? And so, so we're going we're gonna to kind of do that this morning. We're going to be a little bit all over the place. But I think there's a theme here. That, that, I can, that we can pull out of here. And I think this is, if we're going to have a, a mature faith, a faith that, that is the kind of faith that God is calling us to, we need to have a faith that lasts. A faith that lasts. Now what does it look like? What does it look like to have a faith that lasts until the end? All right, so we're going to start in James chapter 4. James chapter 4, <coughs> starting at verse 13. I'm just going to read it all, and then we're going to go back and, and talk about some characteristics of a faith that lasts. Here we go. James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will... We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. 
You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. James seems to range a, a lot of topics here, right? Uh, <laughs> but I think if you, if you look at it with this lens of, of, of talking about a faith that lasts, I think there's some characteristics here that James gives us that, that we can take away and we can say, man, this is, this is the kind of faith that I want. This is the kind of faith a faith that lasts. This is the kind of faith that I want. This kind of faith that is that I desire. And I think there's 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 seven characteristics of this faith that we find in this last part of James. And here's the first thing: a faith that lasts trusts in the will of God. A faith that will last is a faith that is going to trust in the will of God. Right? This comment that you read, James. This this comment that he's t- saying, you people say, you know, this, we're going to go to this city or that city and we're going to maybe stay for a year and we're going to make money there. Right? This, is, this, is not a, he's not being a, this is not a sarcastic statement. This is something that people would, would say. Right? This is something that people would do. They, they, they would try and make these business plans and we're going to go here, we're going to do this. It's not anything unlike what we do today. We're going to go here, we're going to do this, so we're, going to, we're going to sell this, we're going to make this much money and then we'll, we'll move on. Right? There's kind of these plans, and, and, and James is not even saying that we shouldn't even plan. And James is, what James is saying here is that we can be so, so kind of conformed to the, to the material world, so focused on, on our plans and our success and our job and, and everything that we have to do, our strategies, our career, and that if we're not careful with that, we can miss some spiritual realities that are happening right here and now. Listen, those of you who are saying, I'm going to go to this city or go to that city and I'm going to make some money, and he says, he says, hold on here. 
Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, right? He's, he's saying this isn't the way that it should be. The, and the problem is not with planning. The problem is with, with planning without inviting the Lord in. And without being prepared for, for the interruptions that God has for us. Here's a question for you this morning. Do you have your life so planned out that you have no time for interruptions from God? I mean, you look at the Gospels, you look at Jesus, and, and all throughout the Gospels, here's, here's kind of what will happen. You'll notice if you read it, the, and, I, and I re, when we were reading through the Bible as a church, I saw this over and over again, right? Jesus would always be, he was going somewhere, and on his way, something happens. On his way, this person needs to be healed. On his way, this lady touches his, his garment. On his way, there's a blind man sitting outside the gate that he's going to heal. As he's teaching, the roof starts to cave in and some guys lower their friend down. Right? As, as Jesus, is, as Jesus is, is going through with the plans, as Jesus is going through his life, doing what he needs to be doing, Jesus is always prepared for the interruption. He's always there. He's always willing to stop and to say, this person needs me. This needs some attention. This is what needs to happen now. And I ask you the question again, are your lives so planned out that there is no time for an interruption from God? See, I think we can, we can get ourselves so tied down with our plans, with our thoughts about what our future looks like, with our jobs, with our budgets. We can get ourselves so tied down that oftentimes we're so focused on that that we don't even see that God is calling us to this over here. This is what James is saying here. Look, those of you who are saying, go and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to make some money over here. I'm going to probably spend a year or two over there. He says, listen, this isn't the way it works. He says, listen, instead you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. And here's what I'm not saying this morning. I'm not, I'm not advocating here for, for kind of a passive life where we don't plan. That's just, I think you can't read James and think anything about passivity in his words, right? James is someone who's not going to talk about being passive. He's going to talk about go and do. Don't just listen. Go do this. Be active in your faith. He's talking about all this stuff. And so as he's talking about this, he's not talking about being passive with your plans. Just kind of sit and wait and see what God has for you. He's saying, hey, go ahead and make plans, but be prepared for the interruption that God is going to have for you. Be prepared for what God has in your life. Be, be, trust in the Lord's will. And not only trust in the Lord's will, the second characteristic of a faith that lasts is someone that obeys God's will. It's one thing to just be able to, to be prepared for the interruption. But here's, here's what he says in verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So don't just, don't just be prepared for this interruption. Don't just be prepared for what God is telling you to do. Do it. Do it. All right, we, we sometimes just think of sin in kind of a singular way. We think of, of kind of sins of, of commission. 
And James isn't talking about a sin of commission here. He's not saying you did something wrong. He's saying if you don't do this. He's talking about a sin of omission. Here's an example. If I tell my kids, Hayden, don't hit your sister. I've had that conversation a few times, right? Hayden, don't hit your sister. And then he hits his sister. He did something that I was asking him not to do. That's a, that's, a, a, that's a commission, right? He did something. But if I say, hey, guys, we need to go clean the backyard together. And an hour later, I look at my watch, and the backyard's clean, and both of my kids are still inside. Right? They didn't do anything. Right? That's omission. Right? Sometimes I think we only see sin in the singular way of us being a sin of, of commission. It's doing things that we are not supposed to do. <coughs> but James, excuse me, <coughs> James is talking about a different type of sin here. He's talking about a sin of, of omission, of not doing the things that you know you should be doing. And this is, this is, this is, just, as, this is just as bad. I mean, think about Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, there's this parable of the separation of the sheep and the goats. And, and Jesus is saying, you know, he says to the, to the sheep, he says, come on in. You, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And they said, well, when did we do any of that? And he said, as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And he looks at the other side and he says, you're going to go to eternal punishment. Because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. Right, why, why is this whole group over here being sent to eternal punishment? Why is this happening? It's not because of anything that they did. They didn't necessarily do anything wrong. It's what they didn't do that matters. Right, this, is, this is just as big of a deal. This is just as big of a type of sin. And James says here, listen, if, if, if you know the good that you ought to do and don't do it, it's sin. Right, faith that lasts is obedient to the will of God. Obedient to the will of God. And this isn't anything new here. Right, we talked about it in, in chapter 1. We talked about it in chapter 2. This is a huge for James. Doing the things that we ought to do. And if you've read the book of James with me over the last six weeks, you know that James in here is telling us a lot of, of how we should live our lives. There's a lot in here of what we should do. He says, if you know the good you ought to do and don't do it, you sin. Let's keep moving here. Number three, third characteristic, we need to be confident in the justice of God. Confident in the justice of God. Of God. All throughout James, all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the Gospels, you hear, and we're going to be starting chapter 5 here, you hear about care for the poor. Right? Even in, even in chapter 1 of James, right? That true religion is this keep, keep care of the orphans and the widows. Right? You see in the New Testament, Jesus caring for the poor, caring for, for those who, who don't have any. Even the story I just told in Matthew chapter 25, as you did into the least of these, you did it to me. Right, there's a care for the poor that is, you, you can't read Scripture and not see it if you're reading it correctly. You can't not see this. And so James here, he kind of saves the, the harshest language for this part here. And he says, uh, <clears throat> he's, he's talking about the rich. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth is rotted and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. 
You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. And you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Hey, here's what we need to know about this passage here. Even just this whole chapter, really. There's this, there's this sense of the end. There's a sense of finality. There's a sense of judgment here, right? You read it in, in verse 1. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. You read it in verse Verse 5, right, in the, in the day of the slaughter. He's talking about the day of judgment here, right? In verses 7 and 8, <clears throat> he's talking about the Lord's coming. And in verse 9, he says that the judge is standing at the door. He's talking about a judgment here. But here's, there, there, there's, there's some lessons about money here for sure, to be certain, about how we use our money and how we, how we do that with our money. There's some lessons here for sure. But I want you to remember this morning who James is writing this to. James is writing this book to an oppressed, impoverished church. And there are many people who, who, have, who have written, who are a lot smarter than me, who have written a lot of books on this, who say, this, this beginning of chapter 5, he's, this, this is here. I mean, yes, we can talk about how Christians use their money, absolutely. But this right here is written to the oppressors that the church is going through. And I think we can, we can be confident in the judgment of Christ. We can be confident in the justice of Christ. And, and, and because here's what I see here in this passage. Right? You see here that, that, that Jesus is, is judging the sinful people. Right, these people who have, who have hoarded their wealth, who have cheated their workers, who, are, who have just been self-indulgent, who have, who have condemned the innocent, who weren't even opposing them, James adds. Right, he's, he's there, but then he, so he's, 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 he's judging those people, but he's also, if you read, he's delivering the faithful people. Right, read verse 4 with me. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Now here's where I want you to put yourself in the shoes of an impoverished church that James is writing to. Of a church that is being oppressed. Of a church that is being persecuted. And just put yourselves in these shoes of a struggling believer who is reading this. And you're reading this about the rich oppressors. And then you get to verse 4 and you read this. The... the (coughs) The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Yeah, how much hope do you feel in this moment? If you're reading this letter from James and you're talking about, yes, amen to this. Like these rich people have, have just been, been all over us, right? They've been, they're corrupted. They've, they've hoarded all the wealth. They've, 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 yeah. This is who they are. They've condemned us. Verse 4, I've, I've heard your cries. It's as if God is, is speaking through James here and telling these believers, hey, I know that you're surrounded by injustice and I hear your cries. I know you're surrounded by things that just aren't right, but I hear your cries. I hear you and I will deliver you. I think this is, this is huge for us. 
This is huge for us to understand. Do you feel the hope? And once again, we talked about judgment a couple weeks ago. Do you feel the sense of just the, the burden of judgment being lifted off of you? I, I don't have to be the judge because God is the judge. We can be confident in the justice of God. We don't have to be the judge. We can be the ones who love. Right, this is our job. Remember the, the quote that I kept saying the other day? It's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. And it's our job to love. So you go from this, and then the next part makes a little more sense. It doesn't even seem like it's, it doesn't even seem like it's that far away from what James is talking about here anymore. It doesn't seem like a different topic because he's, he's talking about, and then he addresses the brothers and sisters again. Be patient, brothers and, or be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. He's saying, be patient then. Brothers and sisters, God has heard your cry, James is saying. Be patient in the midst of suffering. This is, this is characteristic number four. I mean, a faith that lasts is going to be a faith that is patient in the suffering. Right, you, can, you can read verses 7 through 11 then, and, and patient is, is there a lot. Right, and he gives three, three kind of cool pictures here about what it looks like to be patient. He talks about the farmer. Right, he talks about the, the farmer. He says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Farmers can't control the weather. They can't control when it rains. They can't control when, when their crops are, are ready. They said, be patient, just like the farmer. He doesn't control the rain. There are going to be some things in your life, some, some suffering in your life that you don't have any control over. Want to be patient? Be patient. He said, he talks about a prophet. Be patient, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, I want you to just see this with me. It's not talking about prophets sitting, sitting back and being patient as we would see patience. He's saying, be patient like the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Right? Part of being patient as suffering is being able to speak truth into the situation. We need to be patient, knowing that God is in control, but being able to speak truth. Right? And then Job. And I love this verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. I think that, that might be one of the understatements of Scripture. Right? You've seen what the Lord finally brought about. Right? It, took, it was 42 chapters of, you know, why is this happening to me? Before we finally get to the end and we're able to see this fact, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. <coughs> 42 chapters of that. <clears throat> right? it's, it's not an understatement, but Job was able to, to be patient in the suffering because he knew the promise of God. He knew the promise of God. He knew the, the, that God is, is patient. He knew that God is full of compassion and mercy. We can be patient in our suffering. Fifth thing as we keep moving on, verse 12, is that we can be trustworthy in speech. Now, I'm not going to rehash what we talked about a couple weeks ago. 
I got an amen for not rehashing. That's nice. <laughs> I'm not going to rehash what we talked about a couple of weeks ago as we talked about speaking and, and what God, God calls us to speak to one another. But I will say this, trust, being trustworthy in speech is, is to be so consistent with our lives and with our words that there is no doubt. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, is how another, another part of the Bible says. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you'll be condemned, is what James says. We need our speech, the way that the, our words need to be trustworthy, they need the words that people can trust. Number six, the sixth characteristic, we need to be prayerful. Prayerful. In really every circumstance, right? The scripture, are you sick? Pray. Are you happy? Give thanks and praise to God, right? The, the, you can pray in every circumstance. We see that in all, in all of scripture as well. But, but James is saying here, we need to be people who pray. And prayer is too often the final thing that we do. Tell me if you ever said this. I guess all we can do now is pray. I've said that more than once. All right, but that's, this isn't what it is. This is. Listen to James here. Are you sick? You should pray. Are you happy? You should give thanks and praise to God. Right? Are, are you happy? If, if, let them sing songs of praise. If you're sick, call over the elders and have them pray over you and anoint them. That's why we anoint with oil sometimes. Right? Prayer is such a big part of who we are. If we're going to have a faith that lasts, we need to be people who pray. There's, there's the, even, he even says here, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Our prayers mean things. A couple weeks ago, I sent a text out to our church board and to a couple other people, and I said, hey, you need to be praying for our church. There's some spiritual warfare things going on in our church. We're going through some different circumstances with the well. Maybe you're praying for our church. And I know they prayed. Because literally that afternoon, things started happening. Things started changing. Right? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's the reason sometimes when I'm not feeling great, I'll stand up here and I'll say, I'm not feeling great. As I'm praying, I need you to pray for me. So I don't cough my whole sermon. And there's been times where I've gotten done with, with singing and thought, I don't know how I'm going to get done with this sermon. And I'll ask you to pray for me. And guess what happens? I don't even cough at all during my whole sermon. And afterwards, I go home and I'm just coughing up a ton, right? But I don't do it while I'm preaching. Because why? Because you're praying for me. All right, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. If we're going to have a faith <coughs> that lasts, we need to be people that pray. We need to have a church that prays. This is who we need to be. Amen. In all circumstances, if you're happy, man, pray. Give thanks to God. If you're sad, if you're sick, pray. Amen. Right? In all circumstances, be a person of prayer. And lastly, I, I love that, uh, that James ends with this. We need to have a faith that loves. And we've talked about having a faith that loves, but... I love that he ends with this. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I love that he ends here. Because this is the whole point of the book. 
This is it. James has spent five chapters talking about what our lives should look like as people who believe. We should be people who, who persevere, have joy even in the midst of trials. We should be people who, who don't just read words on a page or listen to a sermon and then don't do anything. We should be people who, who actually hear and, and do. We should be people who love on those who are, who are less fortunate. We should be people who, who are characterized by our love, characterized by our action. We should be people who, who speak in ways that are, that are God-honoring and people-honoring. We should be people who, who are so submitted to God that all our desires and our hearts and our relationships, our temptations, everything are submitted to God. And then he comes down to this at the end. It comes down to this. Whoever turns a sinner from the air of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Period. The end. I'm done, James says. This is what it's all about. This is what it boils down to. If all of this other stuff happens, this is going to happen. If we're going to have a faith that lasts... We need to have a faith that lasts even beyond us. I know there are people in my life who I look at and I think, man, look at their faith. Look at that. That faith that they had there in that situation was just so amazing. It was so unreal. I want to have that kind of faith. Down the road, when I'm long gone, I want people to look at me and be able to say, man, look at that faith. Look at the faith that Chris had. I want my faith to last, not just just until I'm gone, but I want my faith to last until every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's what James is saying here. it's It's about having people come to Christ. It's about sharing the gospel. This is what our whole faith should be about. This is, this is the end point for us. This is what it's all about. So I want to challenge you this week, like I do every week. Out of all that we've talked about, what do you need to work on? Maybe you still need to t- think about the way that you speak to one another. Maybe you need to to work on putting what you read into practice. Maybe you need to work on on loving those who who maybe you feel like don't deserve it. Maybe you need to work on fully submitting yourself to the Lordship of Christ. But here's what I want you to keep in mind. As you work on this, the end goal is not self-betterment. The end goal is not just a, a more mature faith that I, can, that I can then say that I have. The end goal of everything is that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. And may your faith be the thing that brings someone in. That's my prayer for you this week. That is always my prayer for you. Because as you go through your week, that your faith would be so loud (laughs) 
that people would see it, that people would know that it's real and genuine and authentic, and they would want that you have. And it would open the door for you to share, for you to invite them in, for you to, to, to just even read the gospel with them and say, look, this is, this is the hope that I have. This is why I live the way that I do. That's the whole point. Let's pray this morning. God, we love you. And we are grateful for you. God, we're grateful for your words in Scripture that, that teach us and shape us and, and correct us and challenge us. God, I, I pray that we would never stop being challenged by your word. God, James is, has a lot to say to us and could have easily spent more than seven weeks on this, God. But God, I just pray that you would uh, continue to spark, spark our minds, God, as we read continue to bring us back to, to what it looks like to have a, a mature faith. Continue to, to challenge us and to shape us that we would move forward in faith, as the series title is. God, that our lives would never be the same from here on out. That we would live so much out of our faith in you that nothing else matters. God, would you go ahead of us this week? Would you be in our workplaces, be in our conversations, be in our homes, God, would you be so evident in our lives that the people we make contact with, they just want you. God, and would we have the courage and the boldness to share this week and to make a difference in our neighborhoods. God, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you stand with me? <coughs> Let me just pray this prayer blessing over you. See this. May the God of grace and love and peace and joy may go ahead of you this week. May he work in your relationships. May he work through your reading, through your, through your scripture reading. May he work through your devotional time. That you would begin to see your faith as it truly is. And would your faith be a faith that is mature, a faith that reaches out, and a faith that makes a difference wherever you may go and find yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go in peace.